ladies and gentlemen. This is David Hodge with the HodgePod. Thank you so much for coming and listening today. This is a show where we talk sports, local headlines, national headlines, local debate, national debate. And I just want to thank you so much for listening in. This is my very first episode where I interview my buddy, producer Mike, on a myriad of things, including the Panthers making a change at quarterback the NBA bubble and how it's looked at the end of the regular season. So this is right before the playoffs started and Charlotte FC. We kind of get into what is that going to look like? How is that process going to play out and what they have to do to be successful? Thank you so much for stopping by. And I hope if you listen to this, that you love it and you come back. All right, Mike. So the Carolina Panthers have, made a lot of changes this year and the biggest one the headliner if you will cam newton no longer a carolina panther right so what do you think dude what is your what are your first thoughts as a kind of fan slash distant observer no yeah i i think the biggest thing that i uh that I think about with Cam is where is he going to end up in the pantheon of Carolina Panthers players that have played in a, in, you know, in a Panthers Jersey. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I, I've always found him as an exciting person, right. For many different reasons, you know, and not just always, you know, for the reasons that, you know, his play on the field, even though that has been by all accounts, exciting at the least, right. Spectacular yeah. at the, you know, most and most generous, but you know, I, I I I am with I am interesting I am interested to see how his departure changes the franchise. Yeah. You know, I mean, the Panthers weren't necessarily bad during the Jake Delhomme years, and there wasn't much of a gap between Jake Delhomme and Cam Newton. So it'll be interesting to see what this next iteration of the team will look like, because they're they're also losing Greg Olson officially, right? Is yeah, he coming Greg back o- again? No, Greg Olson is gone. He is a Seattle Seahawk. Oh, I for I didn't I forgot about that. Yes. He yeah. was he actually was cut before Cam was. So he's so he's going to play again, but just not for Carolina. Correct. Yeah. Okay. He actually I thought maybe he was just gonna like be retired, retired. Well, that is what I think they thought. I think that's what a lot of people thought, and he made that decision for himself to at least see what he's got this year. That's what he made it sound like. And he sure. actually he actually already signed a contract with Fox Sports. Oh, wow. For not this season, but next season. Mm-hmm. So he's got his retirement gig locked He's got it lined up. Because, well, that's, well I, and that's what I was – that's the reason why I, as well as a lot of other people, thought that he was going to just go back into retirement because he already did that and yeah. was, was doing the studio show gig. Yeah. For, and then he came back out of retirement for Carolina Panthers. And I figure since the year didn't go well, it's going back in retirement. But that, that's interesting. I didn't realize uh, or I didn't remember, I guess, that he was going to try his hand again in another year. Yeah. Greg, Greg Olson is a lot like these guys like that, uh, like Ryan Clark on ESPN. Mm-hmm. Like they start broadcasting like with five years left in their career and you're looking at a game and you're like, isn't that dude, doesn't he work for ESPN? Like what right, is he right, doing right. on the field? 
Um, no, but yeah, man, I agree with you. I think um, the the thing I would say, Jake DeLome, um, he had he took the Panthers to the playoffs three seat three times, and he was their starter for six or seven seasons, two thousand three to two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. Um, they obviously took him to a Super Bowl. That was fun. Uh, the other two times, uh, he made a decent run at it, got him to an NFC championship. And then the third time, he uh, he uh, flamed out hard where he threw uh, five picks against right. the Arizona Cardinals. I was, yeah. at, I was at that game, so it was pretty miserable. But um, Cameron Newton took the Panthers to the playoffs four out of – yeah, four out of five seasons. Mm-hmm. Won an MVP, Rookie of the Year. Uh, also, Super Bowl appearance, one in which he should have won, not just lucky to get there. Right, like right. Jakey D is. See, Jake DeLome I like because whenever he does interviews, he is just real. He is not, like, he is not super cocky. I feel like most he's, of the – He's like, pretty self-aware. Yeah, he is self-aware. Like, he told this funny story one time. Uh, after he threw five picks against the Cardinals about coming home to his house that night and just immediately making himself a drink <laughs> and yelling at his mom. It's, it was it was very funny. But, um, you know, Cam Newton, greatest, greatest quarterback of the franchise history. Uh, but I kind of feel like he was disrespected on the way out personally. Right. Well, I, I don't know if I, – I, there's a part of me that thinks – and feels that Cam Newton was disrespected even as he was here, right? And there's, like, a couple of, like, influencer uh, Charlotte sports accounts, right? And we all know uh, Bring Back the Buzz is, is probably one of the biggest ones. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. not, like, directly connected to the team. And uh, they kind of got into, it like, a little – they kind of got into it with some fans because there were um, – people who were saying that, you know, you guys didn't really love Cam while he was here. Da, 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 and they were trying to bite back saying like, no, we loved Cam, et cetera, et cetera. And I kind of am on the side of, I don't feel like Cam was, is, was adequately appreciated. And the reason, and part of the reason why I say that is because when you put up how much, and, and this is one of the things I wanted to talk to you about. Um, and I know you've kind of got like a little bit of an outline and I don't mean to throw you on, uh, you know, no, dude, on you're good. Spot. Let's do it. But, but I, in my mind, I kind of wanted, for you as, as someone who is as a diehard Charlotte sports fan, mm-hmm. Charlotte, uh, Charlotte uh, Panthers fan, or Carolina Panthers fan, rather, I kind of wanted, from your perspective, if I gave you two players, which one do you believe out of these two players would be, uh, would be looked better upon or uh, more favored in the history of, of the Carolina Panthers, if, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So I'm gonna give you a couple of names, and and if and out of those two names, you tell me which of those two people, which of those two players, former or current, will be looked on, looked at more favorably in the eyes of of the Panthers' history. Right? Does that make sense? Yeah. So, like, I wrote down a couple of names. So, if you put Thomas Davis up against Cam Newton, which of those two players would people say? are like they like they like one of the players they like both of the players but this one like he's gonna he's he's a panther you know what i'm saying 
Thomas Davis. Thomas Davis over over Cam Newton, right? I think I think so because people love Tom. So that's really the question. He, he Do you was like people love Thomas Davis more than Cam Newton. He was so put it this way: Thomas Davis for years was the guy that was always there. That, um, you know, he tore his ACL three seasons in a row, and his best years were after that, right? Like he broke his arm in the NFC Championship game, and play he like literally broke his forearm and played in the Super Bowl two weeks later. Okay, he was like the um, leader of the defense, and um, maybe maybe not the best player on the defense, but like the the leader of the defense in a lot of ways, the leader of the team. Right. Um, he was kind of like uh, trying to think of a good analogy off. The, off the top of my head um it's it's not quite there but uh i want to say he was like the bill lambeer of the panthers okay for all those years even though he was he was a better football player than lambeer was a basketball player i think because he was actually extremely good right right um one of the best linebackers in the league but but what he brought to the table was more than just you know the on the field stuff um, so I think people in Charlotte kind of looked at Thomas Davis a little differently than all the players on the team at that time, because okay. he, he was the guy who had been there forever and everybody had seen him go through so much. Okay. So, and so, yeah, let's look at it like that. So 50 years yeah. from now, who are, who are the Panthers fans going to say was mm-hmm. a better Panther, I guess. So Thomas Davis, uh, over, over Cam Newton. F- so now- 50 years from now is a long time though. I don't know, like, but when you think about the well, right, because fifty years from now, people will forget a lot of stuff, and they'll probably just look at that stats. And because of that, Cam Newton will probably win out. But, but he's, but Thomas Davis is more beloved. Okay, so yeah, Mm. so this is this is probably an easy one. Hopefully, Jake Delhomme or Cam Newton. Uh, Cam Newton. Okay. Steve Smith or Cam Newton. Steve Smith. Okay, which that to me makes sense, right? Yeah, like he's. Steve Smith is like everybody's favorite player. He was like their first, the franchise's first ever like star. Right. Like they didn't have any anybody that good who was like drafted and and kind of grew up there like he did. Luke Keekley or Cam Newton. Luke Keekley. Which is wild to me because Luke Keekley didn't. I mean, he he played his whole career in Carolina. Unfortunately, it was a it was you know as as careers go for a player of his stature was a fairly short career right but at the same time like it wasn't a longer career than cam newton's and one could say that cam newton was more decorated than luke no he actually well i would disagree with you hard about luke here's here's the here's the problem i have i i have with this is a good question right because i feel like cam and luke's careers are are will forever be tied together here um and uh the way that they played was the way that they act like their personalities are obviously so different, but their careers um, are comparable. So, uh, but I have the way the team treated the two, I have a big problem with, right? So Luke Keekley, defensive rookie of the year, defensive player of the year, 2013. So defense MVP, defensive MVP, you know, because, because a defensive player never wins MVP. Exactly. Um, 
he uh, made all all pro every single year he played except for his rookie year. In his rookie year, he should have been all pro because he led the league in tackles, right? Right. Um, first team all pro five times. Um, the best middle linebacker of his era of the 2010s decade. Made the all-decade team. Um, I think he was like a seven-time pro bowler. Like, he is – um, a lot more decorated of a player than Cam Newton was, whereas Cam has the league MVP, which is the ultimate chip, but he, and he has offensive rookie of the year, but he's a three-time Pro Bowl player, and he's made all pro one time, right? Okay. So Luke Keekley, the only thing that's going to keep him out of the Hall of Fame is the lack of years. Like Ray right. Lewis right. – Ray Lewis is probably, I would say, probably the best middle linebacker of all time, right? Ray Lewis yeah. is because he did it. He had the stats. He was decorated. He won all the awards. And he also did it for like, like – He did it longer, for, than, longer than a lot of quarterbacks. Were. Yeah, he played for like how long? Like he was drafted in like 96 and yeah. retired in 2012. So like 16 years as a middle linebacker, like that's really difficult because right, middle right. linebackers – are a lot like running backs in that their careers um, are shorter because they're taking that impact all the time. But, um, no, I would say Luke Keekley is more decorated. He's He was a better football player at his position, I think, than Cam Newton was in terms of the totality of right. uh, his game. It was more well-rounded, so to speak. Um, and you believe he'll be – he'll be more beloved as a, as a Panther. I think in certain ways, um, maybe, maybe Cam would be more because Luke was so quiet. Right. Um, But the problem I have, this is the problem because I think Cam deserves his due, you know? And I think if Cam has a really good second half of his career, um, then I think he'll be a hall of famer too. Right. It's just right. it, his career's just not quite done yet. Um, the way the team treated the two was so different. Well, okay. So before we get there, before we get there, I'm I'm, I'm going to let you get there. But yeah, this is it's almost proving a point that I'm making in even doing this. So two more: Greg Olson, uh, Cam Newton. I think Cam Newton. You you think so? Yeah. Okay. And then finally, Christian McCaffrey or Cam Newton, which almost isn't fair for the amount of years that Christian McCaffrey has currently been in the league. That is really difficult because I think Christian, Christian McCaffrey's best years so far have been losing seasons, right? Right. Like he's done some amazing things, but he, he, the only time he went to the playoffs was when he was a rookie and it was one game and he played okay in the game. But like, um, he's had his moments. I, I don't know, man. I think a lot of people too resent, kind of resent the team for giving him all that money because he's a running back, right? It's kind resent of resent the team, not necessarily Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, but I, and but, I think this all goes into what I'm saying is that I think that that consistently, as much as Cam had did for the Carolina Panthers, I think that people consistently, fans specifically, have continued to dis like discredit, disrespect devalue his contribution to the Carolina Panthers franchise. So I do want to hear what you have to say about the, about the treatment of, of uh, Luke versus, versus Cam, because I, I, 
I would anticipate, I haven't heard this argument from you, but I would anticipate that that furthers what I'm, my, my argument, but. Yeah, I, well, I would say this. I think a lot more people love Cam than you, you think, like, if you did polls, I think it'd be their, like, I'll put it this way. I think a lot more Panthers fans love Cam Newton than, than don't care for him. And okay. I think the people who don't care for him are louder than the people who do like him. Right now, right. you also have the Cam Newton stands, who everything he does is is perfect. You know, everything he touches is gold. I don't, I don't think he he's that he's that kind of an all time great. Like some people propped him up to be, also. But um, no, I my main problem is when Luke Keekley retires. I mean, it was shocking. Right. So I'll give him that. Like it was pretty unprecedented. Um, And the only other, I feel like the only other guys who have, who have done it like that are maybe Gronk and Andrew Luck. And it's just recently happened. Right. 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 Um, But like the team's twit, like social media accounts, it treated him kind of like he had, you know, had died. yeah, like he had gotten hit by a truck saving like a little little girl, you know, like and um and I get it. Like he he was a special player and he never he never sought out like attention, right? So yep. it's almost like he had that kind of label of being like this huge you know, this really successful player that was so humble and you know, and when when they got rid of Cam, now I will say this, Cam Newton is acting like he never knew what was happening. Where uh, reporters like Joseph Person and people who follow the team were like, no, his representation knew this is where it was headed from like the middle of the season on. They could see right. they could see it coming. Like he knew that his time in Carolina was more than likely Yeah, done, it was coming to an end. Yeah. Especially once Ron got fired. But the way the team treated him when they officially released him, they they posted like one graphic that just said, thank you for <laughs> what you've done. It's basically kind of like that half-hearted, like we appreciate your contributions to our business. Like, you right, know what right, I mean? Right. Like, I, and, and I, when I saw that, I was mad. Cause I was like, this dude, he's played through a lot of injury for y'all. Like he has done what no other quarterbacks done for this team. And, um, you know, a lot, a lot of the national media, they they think Cam Newton when people say the Panthers, right? And right. so it's a little different for locals. But, um, but yeah, man, I, I thought he was treated unfairly. I thought he should have gotten a lot more fanfare than he did. Um, and But the good news is it seems like he is taking it well. And <laughs> he seems – I mean, like – what I know do you that mean sounds when you say taking it well. Well, well he had <laughs> like he every had, other video is like a like an underhanded slam at people who people who discounted him. Yeah, he he's just you know he's getting started with the um the New England Patriots right now, and so far at all their training camp stuff, he has been very much. Um, I think Jonathan Jones had a quote from him. And I, I'm sorry, I don't have it pulled up. I did have it pulled up, but basically saying like, 
you know, I wish them nothing but the best. I'm excited about what I'm doing here. Right. Um, so it seems like he's, he's like, he, he seems, it seems like he's being relatively mature about it. You know what yeah, I mean? Sure. And I don't think he owes that to the Panthers organization. Right. Know? Right. Um, now, at the same time, it's not like he won, like, three titles and all this stuff. Like, we still have the same amount of tro- Super Bowl trophies right? Uh, as we did w- when he got here. Before he got yeah. here. Yeah. So, yeah. at the end of the day, like, um, I think he's a, he's a great player. He reminds me – his career arc kind of reminds me of Randall Cunningham mm-hmm. or, like, maybe a little Steve McNair. Um, okay, yeah. And these guys who were just so talented, but never could quite get to where um, they probably should have gotten, you know, um, all time great players in their own respects, but because they don't have like the Super Bowl, because they never played with like an all time great offensive line or like, you know what I mean? Like other quarterbacks have. Or, or like an all-time great head coach, they they just never um, got a ring. Um, but yeah, how do you think old two gloves will end up being? So that is that was where I wanted to segue um, with all this talk, Teddy Two Gloves. Um, here's the thing, dude. I think um, Teddy Bridgewater isn't gonna keep you out of the playoffs. <laughs> I don't. And I don't think he's going to get you in by himself. I think they just – they brought on their Trent Dilfer. Yeah. Yeah. In a lot of ways, um, I think there's – it's kind of like – if you look at his contract, it's essentially a two-year deal mm-hmm. with an add-on for a third if they want – if they need to. Um, you know, in 15, 2015 – he start that that was his only full season that he's played right starter uh with the vikings and um they were pretty good they hosted a wild card playoff game he actually drove them down at the end of the game put them in position to win but i don't know if you remember uh the kicker shanked it it was literally like a 25 yard kick um and seattle uh won that game he but he was okay Completion percentage was like 65%. His yards that year was like 3,200 yards. And, and that team was a lot – it was built around the running game with Aaron, uh, Adrian Peterson right, right. for the most part. Um, but I'm excited, man. I, I think uh, Christian McCaffrey and him are a good pair, you know. For, in, in what way? Uh, he can throw short passes to Christian McCaffrey and he can hand the ball <laughs> off to Christian McCaffrey. <laughs> Cause he's not, he's not this, um, or he hasn't been uh, a stellar deep ball guy. Well, Cam wasn't really like a great short, short game guy. He wasn't until the Panthers drafted Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. And well, they kept trying to draft all of these like big receivers Yes. You know, after Steve Smith left, but, you know. Yeah. And that one worked out. It didn't work out. DJ Moore, it looks like he is the best receiver they've had since Smitty. Mm. He had over 1,000 yards last year with Kyle Allen as his quarterback. 
Um, so I think that's impressive right there by itself. Yeah, there you um, go. So I think he's got he's got DJ Moore on the outside and Curtis Samuel who like plays in the slot. He'll do like uh, jet sweeps, you know, stuff like that. Yeah. And um, Christian McCaffrey, their offensive line is it's not not uh, in stellar shape. I feel like you've wanted you. I feel like since we were in college, you've been saying they needed to draft a right tackle or a left tackle. Left tackle. Yeah. Well, they have had one left tackle, um, one franchise left tackle since they've been a team, and it was Jordan Gross. He was actually playing when I when we were in college. Mm. So, um, but he retired after 2013, and they haven't found anybody since. Um, so, and here's the here's the weird thing: it's like all these Panthers fans are talk are talking about the draft right now because they don't think we're going to be good. Um, the uh, left tackle, there's this left tackle prospect. He plays for Oregon right now. Okay. And all these draft guys say he's the best left tackle prospect since Joe Thomas. Okay. Right? Um, and so there's this kind of discussion of should the Panthers draft uh, Trevor Lawrence or Justin Fields or should they just take the best tackle and figure out quarterback later? Kind of what the Ravens did, taking Ronnie Stanley and then train back up and get Lamar Jackson, which right. – now looks like one of the smartest moves in NFL history, you know? Um, So uh, I don't, I don't know um, what they did trade for Russell Okun to be their left tackle, who is a very interesting guy. Do you know him? No, I don't. Very, very into, he is very into Bitcoin. (laughs) Very into Bitcoin. (laughs) His uh, mask. I didn't his expect COVID, that to be his, his COVID mask has Bitcoin logos on it. I did not expect that to be the uh, interesting fact about him. He's he's an interesting guy. So, like, a few years ago, he was one of the first players. He negotiated his own contract. He, he uh, was, like, uh, fired his agent. He didn't want an agent anymore. He negotiates his own stuff nowadays. Wow. So, he is, like... He's just an interesting dude, um, and he's actually a pretty good left tackle. He played for Seattle when they won the Super Bowl, mm-hmm. um, and he's been in uh, San Diego the last few years, and the Panthers traded Trey Turner for him, and Trey Turner, I think, maybe a little bit better, but he, he was kind of declining, and Russell Okun uh, was owed less money, so I think right. it was a, I think it was more of a money decision. Um so I think their left tackle might actually be uh, decent this year, at least better than it was last year. So last year they started like four different left tackles. Mm. Yeah. Well, so, yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty interesting, man. I think um, the team right now is really pretty much in, in this giant wait and see mode. Right. Um, it doesn't seem like a finished product. Yeah, nowhere near. And they, they're basically – this past year in the draft, they drafted all defense. They're just throwing right. a bunch of stuff against the wall and seeing what sticks um, on defense because they literally, like, they lost so many dudes over the past yeah. couple of years. And um, 
I think their offense should be better if their offensive line ends up being halfway decent. And um, we'll see about that. But uh, back to the legacy of Cam, what, uh, what's so talk about what you're going to remember most about him. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't go toe to toe with you on, you know, favorite plays and things like that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I kind of had to think a little bit more to what he is off, even almost off the field or not even almost off the field. Right. Like I, there's a couple of things. And one of the big things that I, that I remember that I will always remember for, for Cam is I will always blame him for the death of the dad. I, I believe he, he's the one who started it. He was not the one who started it. <laughs> well, he's, he's the, the one, one who made it popular. Exactly. He is the reason why, um, you know, eight, nine, ten-year-old uh, little white boys did the dab <laughs> and drove it into the ground because Cam Newton brought it into the popular zeitgeist. The dab yes. was a thing in hip-hop music. That's the reason why he was doing it anyways, yeah. right? Like, it, mm. was a, it was a thing. Cam, yeah. it was almost like it was almost like, you know, name a name a popular dance, right? It was brought into the popular zeitgeist by Cam Newton because he did it on Sundays, right? And it was right around the same time where they pretty much won every single game that year. And from then on, the the dab was dead. So in my opinion, I think I blame Cam Newton for the death of the dab. And and you know, and, and I shouldn't just point it out, point to, you know. Uh, little white kids I, it was also it was every child right like it was, it was a lot of grown-up white people too right yeah it was I like think... college students all this other stuff like the but he is responsible for the death of the dad dude white people kill everything i know i shouldn't <laughs> say that but it's you remember the dougie right like those are all those things man like once they become once they get into the popular like everybody knows about them it's 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 you know the Dougie, there was uh Soldier Boy. What was the what was his dance? Uh Superman. Superman. Was it Superman? Well it was uh Bobby Superman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh man. So I mean that's that's one of the things for me. And the evolution of, of Cam Newton's attire is another thing for me, right? Uh and it's interesting because I was looking at some photos. His draft day suit was actually really docile and laid back, right? Like it was, it was kind of like a, almost like a tan-ish kind of situation. Had like a, you know, bluish shirt or whatever, very light colored with a pink tie. He looked super clean, right? Um, and and when you when you talk about NFL draft day outfits versus NBA draft day outfits, most of the time for NFL, you're going to get pretty uh, subdued right? Um, uh, outfits, they all yeah. generally always look tailored and so on and so forth. But then over the course of the years, right, some of the, my favorite ones, right, when he had the, uh, he had the green felt hat and looked like a character from The Mask, the movie, yeah. right? Uh -huh. uh, or when he wore the, the silk bonnet over his head at yes. a press conference. Yes, I remember you know, and, that. And even now, and I saw this as a meme and I thought it was perfect. Even now his hairstyle, it looks like that doll uh, from Rugrats. <laughs> I don't get his hair right now. You know, and, and, and that's kind of the thing people are trying a whole lot of stuff, you know, more power to them. But those are the things that 
I will most remember from Cam Newton. And I started to think about, you know, well, the Superman thing, but I don't even know if people really think of him as Superman that much, even though he does the whole kind of pulling the He pulling stopped the shirt doing that, kind of. Did he? Yeah. You know, and, and I think if you're a kid, right, and who, who received a football from him, I think that'll probably be one of the biggest things that you'll remember about Cam Newton as a person, right? Oh, yeah. So, you know, I think those are some of those things that, that, that Cam Newton will probably – uh, will be, if not big parts of his legacy, will definitely be uh, a part of the footnotes. Yeah, he uh, he had a knack for for that. He no, he there was a good article I read one time. It might have been Jonathan Jones who wrote it, or Joe Person. But um, he, when he first got in the league, he felt like he couldn't he was kind of trying to be safe with his outfits mm. as he was, he was not trying to be super loud cause he wanted to be accepted. Yeah. That um, makes sense. Which is, you know, when he came uh, into the league, there weren't very many black quarterbacks. No, there weren't. So he felt in the ones that had been in the league recently and been drafted high had not done well. People like Jamarcus Russell. Right. Um, and the article was pretty much, he was trying to, navigate that in how much uh, in how he presented himself but yeah i think i think what i remember a lot is um he started wearing bathrobes i remember i did that was one of it was like a and, silk kimono yeah. kind of kind of but situation. it was long yeah. and it was like a smoking jacket like the like yes, yes. but real long yeah, yeah. and i always Very thought flush. like Man, I think you wear some silly stuff, but that actually looks really cool. Like if I was that big, like if I was that big of a person, I think I could like you could pull that off. Who, who's the um? Who's the like old? Uh, when I say old, that's relative, of course. Football player that used to wear the big minks. Uh, Joe. Uh, Joe uh, Namath. It, yeah, Namath. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I was about to say Theismann for some reason, but but yeah, Namath. Yeah, and and that's kind of what you know. I think about when I think about Ken. Yeah, he he definitely loved to push the envelope with his fashion. Yeah, definitely will remember that. I will remember the touchdown runs, all the flips into the end zone, that were just amazing. Oh yeah, man! I was watching like a highlight reel before we started taping, and it really brought up for me the fact that. It's no wonder that he is battling whatever injuries that he's been battling, because that man took a lot of beatings. Oh yeah. Like there was one play that I that I saw, and I, I believe it was maybe against the Falcons, uh, and he had like seven guys on him, and he was just trucking along. Oh yeah, I remember just, that. You know play. what I mean? That was an amazing play. Yeah, and, and I don't think so he scored the to touchdown watch. on that, but like, yeah, and he played with so much joy. Um, more than I think a lot of quarterbacks, like a lot of quarterbacks play with a lot of ferocity, right? Like, yeah, you know, they're like, they're mad. Like they have to conjure up some, some, uh, some level of, of anger, right. In order to play really well. Cam yeah. Newton really played with a lot of joy. Yeah. He played with um, so much personality. And I think that's the biggest takeaway for me is mm-hmm. he was so fun to watch when he was, on his game now when he was bad he, he could be real bad right we'd have just these awful three four interception games sometimes but the 
being in that stadium and seeing him come in, he always runs over to the fans. Like, you don't see it on TV, actually. So it's really cool. Like, he runs over to the fans and just starts, like, trying to pump them up. Like, every single game he did it, right? Yeah. It wasn't just for a playoff game or anything. Um, He is, like, the guy – you know the um, famous Teddy Roosevelt speech, the man in the the arena? Like, I always think of him because he literally was, like, he wanted all the attention – which you can imagine being that big and that having that kind of personality, oh yeah, being that good at sports, to command the attention of seventy thousand people at one time would be kind of exhilarating. Um, oh yeah, but just the, how enigmatic he was and how fun he was to watch in person, um, right? Was just it was it was different, man. It I never. I've been to a lot of games in that stadium. I've never seen anybody with that kind of right, right. Um, command of a crowd. Maybe Smitty sometimes, but never on a consistent basis like him. Yeah, but was, I don't even know. Was Smitty like a crowd pleaser like that? I don't. He, think he was. was. He was, man. So, so Smitty had these these moments, right? Smitty, he's always so famous for for playing bigger than a statue. And, of course, we're talking about Smitty as in Steve Smith. Yes, Steve Smith, number Agent 89. Um, he he would jump. Like, it seemed like he jumped 20 feet in the air sometimes because yeah, of how yeah. small small he is compared to how, how high he was jumping. And he would stiff-arm dudes, like, literally, like, press them into the ground with his arm. Um, so he was fun to watch because he – he would do that and get in dudes' faces, and it would it, and it would be uh, a show in and of itself to see him going at the other team. But Cam was on a different level. It was almost oh, yeah. like he was like the greatest showman, and that was the stage. So, you know, and and one of the other things that I was also thinking about that I will always probably remember uh, with a chuckle, at least, of Cam Newton is his confrontation with uh big booty benjamin uh calvin benjamin yeah. with uh <laughs> with uh with before the uh t- was because that was when he was with tampa bay right or no with who calvin benjamin Cal- yeah calvin when he played for the bills bills that's right and the bills. he like said all this stuff negative about cam newton yeah yeah and then they met like essentially before the game a preseason and it game it, yeah and when it was thomas davis who was Thomas Davis and, and uh, Kelvin talking in the middle of the field and Cam yeah. walks up cause he's trying to address it. And to me, it was just one of the, you know, biggest boss moves cause you know, Kelvin was running his mouth, but had yeah. to walk away with his. He didn't want to say anything life. either. Like, I don't think Kelvin Benjamin was scared of Cam, but I don't he, think he was, he didn't want to scared. Yeah. He didn't want to, <laughs> he didn't want to talk, talk to him. It just made no sense. It's like, dude, like Cam didn't trade you, bro. Like why are you mad at him? Right, right, right. <laughs> like, Cam didn't make you gain all that weight, dude. Right. Um, yeah, so I guess we will collectively pour one out for Cam Newton's career go. as a Panther and move on to the NBA bubble. The NBA bubble, devoid of the Charlotte Hornets. Yes. Just devoid outside of the of the 22-team. Also, the Golden State Warriors. Don't forget that. They didn't make it either, man. They didn't make it either, but they're also probably going to get the first pick of the draft this year. Yeah. Yeah. 
Golden State Warriors set themselves up, man. I hate to admit it. Yeah, this might be like a Spurs situation. Yes. So um, transitioning to the NBA, uh, so far we have our regular season pretty much finished um, and our standings are kind of set except for that this weird-ass play-in tournament that mm-hmm. they're going to have in the West. Um, what are your fir- what are your impressions, man? Because um, I I think it's been definitely really interesting to say the least. Yeah, I, I think it's been super entertaining. I think that the bubble situation. I think the NBA has shown that that sports during COVID is absolutely doable if you put safeguards in place. Now I don't know if if this will result in actual. Uh, heavy revenue dollars. And I only say that because when you, I I saw some reports on on the amount of money that it costs to put on the bubble and that in and of itself was like astronomical. So who knows how much money they're actually making from all of this, but I think it's a, it's a really great format. And, you know, and these last few games, these last eight or so games that they've been playing prior to the playoffs starting have been really good because they essentially took the best, 22 teams right with the exception of the Orlando Magic and the Washington Wizards and you know but but then you look at the West and it's like and and I would even throw the Brooklyn Nets in there but then you look at the West the West and who knew that we were going to have a knockdown drag out fight to get into the playoffs between the Portland Trailblazers and the Phoenix Suns right like who knew that like something like that was going to happen and I was Devin Booker to- knew yeah, well, there you go. And Dame Lillard, uh, uh, evidently. But but then when you look at it, it's it's. Uh, I was listening to some people, you know, maybe a month or so ago, talk about their expectations for the bubble, and they believed that this this time uh, that that the rest was going to favor, of course, old guys. But I think even more than that, it was going to favor young guys uh, because you know they can do these things in in short sports spurts or whatever. And I think what we've seen is that a lot of the young players have really benefited some of the young stars uh, like a Devin Booker, like a DeAndre Ayton, like a, uh, you know, a Dane Lillard, you know? And so I've, I've been really, you know, it's, it's been exciting. It's been exciting. And, and really there's a part of me that doesn't want to believe the hype about this first round, mm-hmm. um, you know, once you get past the plan, but there's a part of me that's like, man, the Lakers might have it cut out for them if they meet the Portland Trailblazers in the first round of the playoffs past the, uh, you know, now if it's the Phoenix Suns, you know, that's a quick four and out, but the Portland trailblazers against the Los Angeles Lakers might be appointment television. Dude. Uh, the Phoenix Suns against the Los Angeles Lakers would pro they might steal a game off of them. They're not going to beat them, but, um, right. a gentleman sweep as it were. Yeah, I definitely agree with you. I think it's been interesting in, the COVID side of things and all the things they've done to set themselves up to be successful with testing numbers and all that. Um, I mean, it, it seems like a pretty, uh, the principle of it seems like not, uh, you take all these people who aren't contaminated, put them in a room together and don't let anything else in. <laughs> it's going to work. Uh, but the nature of the sport, you know, the limited number of roster uh, spots and everything kind of creates the ability for them to do it. I, I, would, I would tend to agree that this Western Conference battle has been the funnest thing that I, I've loved watching the Portland Trailblazers. I right. think them having Nurkic back 
has just transformed that team, and Dame has just been on a whole another stratosphere. Oh yeah, he's just he's crazy, man. He's like uh, he's kind of got that that edge to him that you see in like Kobe and MJ and and all these guys where oh, yeah. he wants the ball in his hands and he wants he wants to take the shot. And not only does he want to take it, he knows he's going to make it. And when he makes it, like, what did he do to the uh, Thunder last year? He, like, waved to him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, he's just that dude, man. And I, I actually saw him play one time in, in Brooklyn when I was there. Oh, good. And um, it was pretty cool. I don't think he played particularly well in the game. But now it's, like, one of those things that I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to see him play live one time. You know what I mean? Like, he's becoming this, like <laughs> – you, you didn't feel that way when we got to see New Orleans Noel? No. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, he, he's, he's, like, turning into this, you know, all, all-time great at his position, or he's starting to, like, carve out that kind of a resume. And it's pretty cool to watch uh, with our own eyes. I, I was actually thinking about this, too. Because you've seen these teams that are lower seated play a lot better. I wonder if younger players have enjoyed playing in the bubble more because there's no fans. I was and, thinking about that earlier. And the, as there's well. no travel yeah. and they can just play in a gym, basically. Not just no travel, but there's a part of me that thinks that it's got to be it, it's one thing playing in front of a college crowd, it's another totally different situation playing in front of like tens of thousands of, of NBA fans, right? And and to me, that's just like, I could see how, you know, people's, you know, snifters kind of get tight in those situations. Yeah. But if you put, if you put essentially what amounts to a YMCA gym, you put a bunch of, of, of high level players in what amounts to an NBA gym, then really literally all you have is your teammates and your ego. Right. And so I think that like you don't have to worry about all the outside noise because you're literally in a bubble. You know, of course, you'll see the ticker at the end of the game when you're looking on your phone or you're on Twitter or you're watching you know, television and stuff like that. But outside of that, what you're really talking about is is a group of guys that like everything's insulated. You don't have to worry about the fans. You don't have to worry about the booze. Like it's literally just you and the other guys that you came to play with. And if you are a player that for some reason would have a hard time playing on a big stage. The stage just got a lot less big because yeah. there are no fans. So like dudes who have mastered the mental game of playing in the playoffs and stuff like that, like Kobe was and like Paul Pierce and, and these guys who could just, who may not have been their best athletically, but mentally they were like on that next level. Right. Where they could kind of drown stuff out and, antagonize dudes so that they could get uh what they wanted out of them and, and get people frustrated you know yeah um like paul pierce there's not going to be a situation this year where a player like paul pierce did goes off the court and it looks like he's not going to be able to return for the whole playoffs like he's totally injured and then he comes back out uh runs out of the tunnel and the crowd goes nuts right yeah like there's not going to be a didn't situation he, didn't like he soil that. himself isn't that why he went the back? yeah that's what this was <laughs> supposedly that's what happened right but like but the whole tam the whole feeling and timbre of the room changed when he comes back out right like you're yeah. not going to get that situation here because if you get if you get injured and you walk off the court when you walk back out it's just it's not going to be like anything changed yeah you know what i mean 
like mm-hmm. the the feeling in the room won't change right like yeah. if steph was if steph was in the was in the bubble you know or outside of the bubble rather he shoots he knocks down some big threes the whole place erupts yeah you don't get that and it changes can, the momentum exactly like you can pump in as much sound as you want like it's not going to replicate yeah that feeling There's of, no of a, of a full stadium Right. So, like, I think that's the situation that that probably some of these young guys find themselves in. If they haven't yet gotten to the point where they can block everything else out, then a situation where there's, you know, 80, 90 percent less people in a room while they're doing what they're doing. I think that 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 it benefits them. So I'll ask you one question and feel free to expound on your answer. And then we can move on to soccer. But um, what is your – who do you think is going to be in the finals and who do you think is going to win the title? Oh, man. If you asked me pre-bubble, um, if you asked me pre-bubble, I would have probably just gone chalk and told you the Bucks and the Lakers, um, you know, slash Clippers. However, I think I, I tend to agree with people like Bill Simmons or, or uh, Ryan Russillo, where we're in a situation that, the, that this bubble situation could really shake some things up, right? Like, I, I can see a situation where Toronto goes back to the championship, goes back to the, goes back to the finals at least, right? Like, I can totally see a situation where Toronto goes back to the, to the uh, finals, you know, without a, without a strong point guard, I I don't know if Boston is going to get there, right. Because it seems like there's still issues with Kemba's knee. So really, and now that you've gotten, now that you've gotten, uh, now that you have a Philadelphia 76ers team where Ben Simmons is out indefinitely, he may not be back in the bubble, right. Like he's having surgery. So he's pretty much out. Right. I mean, he's, Unless they make a long playoff run, he's not. Right, he's not coming back. Right, so, like, you really only have Milwaukee, Toronto, and if they catch, you know, if they get hot, you know, pun pun not intended, I guess, the Miami Heat, who could potentially make some noise. Uh, But really, in in my estimation, you've got Milwaukee and you've got Toronto. And then in the West, I really do think that the Houston Rockets could really surprise people. You know, and we talked mm-hmm. about, you know, and, and people talked about it a lot, you know, prior to the bubble where they didn't think that this whole small ball thing was going to work, right? Like they didn't yeah. think this whole small ball thing was going to work well. And then it, it seemed like it was working really well. And then they tapered off just before coronavirus hit, right? They yeah. started tapering off and didn't seem like, but now that core group of small ball team has had three, four months worth of rest. Yeah. So they can come back out firing just like they were at the beginning when they ended up trading fresh legs. Uh, their big guys. Right. So mm-hmm. to me, I think there's a situation, there's totally a situation where the Houston Rockets can find themselves in the Western Conference Finals. And I don't think that you can really count them out if you have a barrage of shooting, uh, especially if they match up with somebody like the, the, um, the Lakers who don't have as much uh, perimeter defense as they would have had had Avery Bradley uh, been in the bubble as well as Rajon Rondo. So, it, it, you know, it's a long way to, it's a long way to not give you like a 
hard and fast answer, but if I had to give you one, I'm still going to go chalk and say the Lakers and the, actually, you know what? I'm going to say the Clippers. I'll say the Clippers and the Bucks. Um, but I could see, I could see anything happening, especially in the West. Yeah. I, so here, here's my opinion. And I think what, I think what you said is good because I think there are some surprise teams or some teams that could surprise. I'll put it that way, but I'm not going to go with the same teams. I think the Boston Celtics could make a run of the NBA finals. Mm. And I'll tell you why, because they have experience and youth, right? And if Kimba, if Kimba can stay, can get healthy and stay on the court, which that's a big if right now, they have a squad of dudes yeah. Yeah. because if um, Jalen Brown is scoring 20 a game and playing the kind of defense he does, I think they're just uh, – they go to that next level with a good Gordon Hayward and Jason Tatum, Tatum obviously. Um, and I, I feel like Milwaukee hasn't um, – they haven't had their best in the bubble so far. Now that could no, change. They, they, they could turn it on for sure. And I – I do agree with you. I think um, in that Toronto is is kind of a force as well. They're they're just so they're so. I feel like they're super disciplined, right? And yeah. their player development stuff is great. So you never know who's going to show up for them. I kind of want in the West. I kind of want to go with a sneak uh, sneaky team with the Nuggets because no, like Michael. It's not. Happen. It's, but, see, but it's, I, not it's not going to happen. But they got like Michael Porter Jr. is playing well and stuff, and um, the NBA's Tim Tebow supposedly. Yeah, yeah, he's <laughs> he's he's very interesting um, uh, person in his opinions on things. But uh, the Nuggets intrigue me because I feel like with him and Jamal Murray, that could be a really good team. I do honestly. I know it's a sexy pick right now. I do think the Trailblazers could make a run to another conference finals with the way they're playing right now. They could. You, the the biggest the biggest hurdle to that of course is that they would play they would play the Lakers in the first round. And yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't see you don't see a 8 seed supplanting a 1 seed in the first round. Yeah, it's very rare. And and I don't know if they would do that. So yeah, that's a good point, but I do think they have they're probably going to be the best eight seed we've seen in a very long time. Yeah. Because they were, if you remember the regular season, they didn't have any bigs and now right. the bigs are healthy and they're yes. like a completely different team. So I, I would, I want to say I, the thing, the thing about it that stinks though is I'm going to pick the LA Clippers too. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Cause they're the best team. The, the most well-rounded team since LA's yeah. perimeter guys got hurt. Um, I'm going to go Boston and Clippers. Okay. And I think, I think it'd be a good series. I think if Kawhi's plays and he's healthy, then I think the Clippers will win. If it becomes a Clippers Boston uh, or Clippers Celtics finals, you really have, two teams that are the same as one another just at different stages of development yeah right sans mm-hmm. you know a, a really strong big man in the in the Celtics you know mm-hmm. um, unless they want to bring out taco fall but that's probably not happening but um you really have you know you have two dynamic wings in yeah. 
uh, Kawhi and Paul. And then on the, uh, on the Boston side, you've got Jalen and uh, Jason. Jason. Jason and Jalen. Yeah. So, so you've, got, you've got two dynamic wings. You've got some, some really uh, heady defensive, uh, but also can knock down some shots every once in a while and like a Patrick Beverly and a Marcus Smart. So you, you have a dynamic that's very similar between the two teams. So it actually would be a really interesting matchup. All right. Moving on to Charlotte FC. Charlotte FC, the new professional MLS soccer team uh, that is going to start playing in 2022, just released their crest and uh, their branding and such. Um, Michael Baylor. I shouldn't say your last name so people don't look at, look you up in the books. <laughs> what are your thoughts? Uh, I, I was hoping that, that Raleigh would, would, would get that. Um, as you know, and a lot of people who are listening don't know, I live in, in the Raleigh area, in the greater Raleigh area, and you are from Charlotte. I was hoping that Raleigh would get that, especially based off of would get the, the MLS team, especially considering the uh, youth soccer infrastructure that, that – the Raleigh area has been building up. Understandable. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we technically already have a professional men's and women's team that are not in the MLS and whatever the women's version of it is, right? Um, yeah. And the women's team, at least, is is, is pretty, pretty good. They uh, have an, at least two players who played on the women's national team in the World Cup. Um, at least one, I should probably say. I know one for sure. So, when we're talking about Raleigh, Raleigh, in my view, was much more of a soccer, um, a soccer place, right? Or, you know. Soccer town. Soccer town. And so to see Charlotte get it, you know, it's kind of a, a gut punch, but, I, but, I'm, but I'm also happy for, for the state of North Carolina. I think it'll be, you know, I think there are certain aspects of North Carolina that's trying to be, um, akin to Georgia in a lot of ways. Like yeah. we, we want, we want the, we want a lot of stuff that, that we want to be on the same level and look at as the same level in Charlotte, I'm sure definitely as a city wants to look uh, and be spoken of in the same context of, of like in Atlanta. Um, and that's, and that's going to be far off, but at the same time, I, I do think, I think it's an exciting time for, for North Carolina sports and, and we'll, we'll definitely see how this all shakes out. I think in the next you know, 10 years, the facilities are going to be amazing. Yeah. Right? I don't know how long it's going to take to build, to build all those things, but I think the facilities are going to be amazing when, when, you know, 10 years from now. And uh, I think it's going to be even more exciting, you know, things in the, the downtown Charlotte area and even more reasons for people not to want to, you know, live in downtown Charlotte. <laughs> um, so any thoughts on the specific colors and crest? Isn't it like Spurs colors? Aren't we just doing black and white? No, it's uh, like Panthers colors. So the black is and it? blue. Yeah. Okay, maybe I just saw the uh, uh, the uh, like the rendering without the colors. Gotcha. Yeah, but, it's uh, got a crown. Oh yeah, um, yeah, yeah. The Panthers colors. Yeah, I think it's pretty clean. If they make black their their primary color, I think it'll look really clean. Yeah, yeah. So if you look up. Um, I've heard this before. If you look up like Inter Milan's jerseys, it's mm -hmm. like uh, black with blue stripes. 
down the jersey, or you could do like a like a black. Uh, they call them kits, right? Mm-hmm. You can do like a black kit with like pinstripes on it, maybe. There's a lot. I think there's a lot of cool things they could do with it. I was, it was kind of weird when I first saw it. I was like, eh, and then I was like, oh, that's really cool. And then later I was like, okay, whatever. I'll like it. Yeah. You know, once I, once I see him wearing it, it'll be cool. There'll be a lot of different variations of that logo that I think will be um, really, uh, really cool for everybody to see. Honestly, I, I think it brings up another point there that I think more teams who have multiple, more cities who have multiple professional teams in them should swap colors or swap, you know, branding, you know, every so often, you know, Mm. when they, when they've done the renderings of, of the Panthers with Charlotte Hornets jerseys, inspired jerseys, I think are really cool. Oh, like uh, when the Nets used to wear those Brooklyn Dodgers jerseys. Yeah. Yeah. Those were sick. I love those. That's always fun. And I, you know, and I think that that kind of just continues to kind of promote, all sports in yeah. the area, you know, kind of yeah. helps to build well, that synergy. You also have like Pittsburgh, all their teams have the same colors. Right. Which is pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. The branding stuff I thought was cool. I think it's lame that they're not playing till 2022. Um, interesting. Yeah. Is, they, that due, is that due to coronavirus or just? Uh, I think uh, uh, if it's up. not directly, it's indirectly. Um, okay. I just felt like it was, that was a better time to start. Um, and honestly, man, I don't like the FC part. I, it's like all, aren't all of the MLS clubs kind of doing that now? Not always. So like Nashville's team is Nashville SC as in soccer club. Oh, you don't like and, the football. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, like I, I love, well, I love European soccer personally. Like I do follow it and it's, it's really fun. But to them, like, that is football, right? Right. They call football players footballers. You know, they call – when you say football there, like, they they see it as soccer, right? So, um, which I know that's obvious. But so here it just seems like pandering to um, European soccer fans. I'm kind of like, it's not not football. Like, you should call the Panthers Charlotte Football Club, right? Yeah. (laughs) Well, the the other piece, though, too, like – it seems as though there is a large contingency of people, definitely just based off of my relationship with you and knowing other people that you know in the Charlotte area, it seems like there's a big contingency of people who watch and follow uh, European soccer, yeah. European football, mm-hmm. right? And and yeah. and is it pandering? Yeah, but I do think it, it kind of ties into that rabbit fan base. It kind of it does, but I think it's like, it's like trying to say like they're not gonna notice. They're gonna think we're cooler because we say <laughs> FC, and it's kind of like I don't I don't know. I hear you. I I I know this isn't the most entertaining way of of describing it, but I I just don't like it. I wish it was SC or um maybe something else in in place of that, right? Because I think it it's uh I think it's pandering and it seems kind of like too grabby like we yeah. want to be like like them whereas the mls is going to be a good league eventually i i think it's a good league now mm. um their tournament which just ended the mls's back tournament the uh, they did a tournament and then they're starting a regular season which is pretty interesting um their tournament i thought was fun to watch they did a bubble 
also, and it worked out well with um, COVID. But uh, yeah, Charlotte FC, um, I will I will ask you this question as um, a what do, what do they call Raleigh residents? Raleighites? Raleighans? I actually don't know. Yeah, maybe we'll just go with the Raleighans. That's fine. <laughs> Raleighans. As a Raleighan, what do you think Charlotte FC needs to do to be successful long-term other than the obvious uh, win games consistently? Yeah, that's hard because, because outside of college basketball and college football, in North Carolina, there is not a tradition of winning when it comes to professional sports teams, right? Like just just across the board, right? Like there's not yeah. a consistent uh, culture of winning, right? And hopefully that'll change with with uh, with a new owner uh, and 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 so forth. Um, you know, new new players and and all that other stuff when it comes to the Panthers and such. Uh, hopefully those things will, will will shift and change. I will say that maybe even a tie-in to the culture of youth soccer in Raleigh will help with that. Yeah. Um, because, you know, I think the whole, I think the whole state kind of, you know, turns up when, when there is a professional sports team that's starting to do well, right? Like everybody is plugged in, even though I, I just don't know if the Raleigh area, because we have a lot of transplants in the tech industry who come from different places around the country who come to the Raleigh area. And I'm sure that's the same thing to a degree in Charlotte, yeah. but definitely with tech in Raleigh and uh, Raleigh Durham, you know, I think you have a lot of people who are coming from out of town. So you have a lot of people who, before they, before they make a professional sports allegiance, they make a collegiate sports allegiance. Right. And yeah. so when it comes to the weekend during football season, people just before the weekend during football season, people are more so talking about looking forward to college football, even if it's with, NC State, Duke, and Carolina, who aren't good and haven't been great in a very long time. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, the easy answer is to start winning because everybody galvanizes around a winner. However, I do think there there could be there could be an argument made for tying back into the youth uh, the youth soccer sports in the Raleigh area. Uh, I wonder what it looks like to to even say, you know, because to a degree, Raleigh has the facilities to play some, uh, you know, as, as they call it in football, friendlies yeah. over in over in the Raleigh area rather than in, you know, rather exhibition than in Charlotte. Matches. Yeah, exhibitions, you know, in, in, uh, in Raleigh rather than in Charlotte. You know, those are the things that I think could kind of help to galvanize the fan base. Uh, and the, the other biggest thing, which I think hurts, uh, hurts, hurts North Carolina hockey is that and I think it hurts basketball in general if you don't put these sports if these sports don't air on cable or uh, on uh, broadcast on broadcast networks you're not going to be able to pull in people like you would normally right like if, yeah. if I can just go to NBC or ABC or what have you and turn on the MLS game and it's Charlotte Football Club versus uh, DC United, right? Like that really starts to build that culture of, you know, knowing and appreciating your, uh, your soccer, soccer in your state. Right. Yeah. Um, and, and that's, and that's not even really like a Charlotte thing. 
Uh, and now granted, I think maybe there's some local networks that could broadcast within the state, maybe a UNC TV or what have you. But, but those are the kinds of things that I think about Fox. a lot. Fox, Fox Sports, Sports South. South. Yeah. 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 So like, like it has to be accessible, right? It has to be accessible. If they're not going to win readily, it has to be accessible. Yeah. And because that's the biggest thing with, with like, even with the hurricanes, like they're not on enough. Like you can catch it here in Raleigh because they'll, they'll be on like, you know, one of those something point two stations and stuff like that. And you can catch the hurricanes, but it's not going to be in the, in the statewide, wide mind zeitgeist, unless they're in the playoffs and once they're in the playoffs, it's going to end up on NBC. Yeah. So you can just flip channels and be like, oh, the Carolina Hurricanes are on. They're so on you, Fox Sports South, too. I mean, you have to have go. that channel. Like, I don't have that channel. Right. But I, so, when I, mean, I just, did those have Those are the channel. things that I think about. Yeah. I, I mean, that makes a lot of sense, the whole proximity and, you know, accessibility thing. Because you're going to have to get those games in front of people who may not – not know not necessarily not know what they're watching but may not have like a deep appreciation for the sport of soccer right right and the only way you can do that is by getting it out there everywhere you can and maybe people will fall in love with it like me personally like i fell in love with baseball when i was 27 you really know? yeah and i thought you were of- a braves fan long before that well, I'm I'm a Dodgers fan, actually. That's right. That's, that's right. That's what I kind of grew up I feel as. Like I get I that tried, mixed up all the time. I tried to pull for the Braves too, but I just couldn't pull for an Atlanta team. It was, it was, <laughs> I just couldn't do it, man. And and I do respect the Braves. Like I, they're they're a really good franchise. Um, so I don't like actively root against them unless they're playing my team. But my dad was a a Dodger fan, and that's kind of how I I I got that. But that is to say, like I started watching it when, when I was older, and I and I just kind of fell in love with it. So that's you don't have to like grow up with something to appreciate it. And I right. think I think that could be done. Everything everything a lot of the guys around are saying is they want to be like Atlanta United, which is kind of a dream circumstance. You know, they come in right. the league and they wreck the league like they're super good. That they apparently they have a stronger following in Atlanta than like the Falcons do in a lot of ways. That's I've, what I've heard people that. say. Yeah. Matter of um, fact, I've seen that like online. Like, yeah. It seems like people talk about Atlanta United. Yeah, which is, which is really cool. It's really cool for them. Uh, it's a pretty neat success story. I don't think that Charlotte FC should try to copy them necessarily. Right. Because Charlotte in a lot of ways is like Atlanta, but a lot of ways it's way different, you mm-hmm. know. Um so I, I do think there's some cool things they could do. Obviously, if they win a lot, people will come around more. Um, but if they have cool jerseys, that's not enough, as we have seen with the Charlotte Hornets. <laughs> so uh, they, they got to do more than that, and maybe they can't. I do know they're, they're, they are going to have an academy in Charlotte with young players, and they're, they're going to invest a lot into that, which is – something cool that the MLS is doing that no other pro sports teams or leagues in um, America do is they're actually having youth academies, mm-hmm. you know, where trying to develop the talent in, in the, you know, yeah. Like that makes so much sense. Like why? And I get why the NFL and NBA um, major league baseball kind of does it with the minors, but it's only post, you know, adulthood. 
Um, and same with the NHL, but like why I get it with the NBA and NFL, right? They, they're free farm systems. They're not going to build something and invest in it when they don't have to. Um, which is interesting because they actually, the NBA, at least they do that in, in Africa and in China. Yeah. 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 They do. Mm -hmm. And, uh, cause they don't have to. They, right, have, they don't have to. All the, yeah. and all these colleges all these colleges AU like all this stuff that makes so much money off of basketball would not stand for it right, right so i don't right. i think it would be a losing battle which the g league is actually kind of the bet that's becoming more and more of a uh, a good version of that but i'm really excited to see how that goes because yeah. if the mls is able to develop its own talent and develop talent that turns into like all world talent, which gets bought by European t- teams. It will make the league very compelling, a lot more compelling well, and, and, than it is currently. Yeah, they, they have to though. They, they, they really do. Because when you look at the way that, and I learned this from you, uh, when you look at the way that talent is identified and developed in Europe and in other countries and uh, other continents and so forth, when it comes to, when it comes to football, soccer, football, it, it, it pales in comparison or the way that we do it pales in comparison to the way that it's done around the rest of the world. Yeah. Right? Like it is a big deal to, to start the process of development and training early uh, in other countries and in other places around the world. Whereas we just don't put that emphasis here. And if you don't put that emphasis uh, in that way here, then what you're going to get is the same thing that you see every year during or every uh, cycle during the Olympics and uh, subsequently during the uh, World Cup where there's not as much American enthusiasm in watching that because we know that we're not, as, as Americans, are not going to be competitive unless we're talking about the Women's World Cup. We're not going to be competitive on that level because we just haven't developed the talent, right? Yeah. And so I think by developing the talent, you therein get an, an a baked in a baked in appreciation for the sport as a whole yeah. right because the sport's already global now we just need to make it national yeah and and they're starting to do that right like the champions league um just today uh red bull leipzig which is a german team beat atletico madrid in the champions league and the yeah. winning goal was scored by none other than Tyler Adams, who is an American. So it's it's happening slowly. But if these MLS teams start really developing their own academy players, it will become a lot more um, uh, sped up here yeah. in the coming coming years. So that's and what really I'm what excited. Need, this is what happened to, to the NBA. And this is what I think you need in, in, uh, in the MLS. You need a, a one or two huge, massive stars that choose to stay in the MLS, a la a bird or bird and magic or Michael Jordan. Somebody that is like synonymous with like somebody who can, who can go on to being a first name person yeah, or like a one name person. You know what I mean? Like Ronaldo and Messi. Exactly. Yeah. Once you have something like that, it draws all the eyes. And I think then you start to take a long process and you make it short. Yeah, that that would that would do do wonders. But that is 
the way the MLS has to grow to even get to the point where they can right. support right. those kind of wages, you know, mm. and even still you have the, um, you know, a guy like Ronaldo, he's played on three different teams uh, and he's still one of the best. Um, like if we had somebody that big, they would essentially be pulled away to play in Europe and we would only really see them when they played in the Olympics slash the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. So, so the way that 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 would that that could work is the MLS has to grow to the point where they could support those kinds of wages because those guys make more than any other athletes in the world right. for them when they're that good. Um, but then the level of competition in Europe is so much better across all leagues, right? Whereas here, at the Concacaf, if the MLS got to that point they would dominate the Canadian and Mexican leagues and all that stuff. Like, um, and in Europe, they would be able to compete for champions league titles, those league titles over there, which adds more fame and fortune and notoriety. So you could do it for a season, but, um, ultimately that I think, I think that would be really difficult to do. I think they just have to grow to a point where players that play in the MLS go on to become stars in Europe as they yeah. were stars in the MLS. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they're getting closer to that now, but it'll be interesting to see. And that's what I think Charlotte FC has to do to be successful is develop those uh, players that they can sell to bigger clubs for a lot of money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I defer to you because you are, you are much more in the know about all of that, but uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see, I'm excited to see uh, another sports franchise in in North Carolina, and hopefully Raleigh will end up getting uh, baseball. I guess that's yeah. all we have left. That would be cool. I th- dude, I think it'd be cool if Raleigh got an MLS team, and then we'd have a Two North Carolina. Yeah, then we'd have like a North Carolina. They call it. They call them derbies. Darbies. I think there's they're spelled derby, but they say derby. Da- in uh, Europe, and that I think that would be a really cool like in-state rivalry thing. Almost definitely, because yeah. then you'd be playing on the same thing that we have in college sports, in-state rivalries. Yeah, and everybody loves that. Yeah, I think it would be great. It'd be great for the sport probably, because um, that's what it's like in Europe. Is these teams that you know started as like local fitness clubs hundred years ago evolved into these sports franchises that are in different neighborhoods, not different states. Yeah. You know? Do you think, do you think that they should do it the same way that, uh, that Europe does it in that you can get relegated and stuff like that? So like the, the, the Raleigh sports, you know, a football club, uh, NCFC is what we call it. Um, uh, would, would, could, if they were to, you know, play at the top of their league, jump into the MLS. Man, I, I think that would work if it didn't like the hard part is these owners spending all this money now to get into this league. Like David Tepper spent like $360 million or something like that. To then then have a chance to be not playing the. Yeah, I understand. Exactly. It's, it's hard to convince them of that, but I think if they have enough teams, it would be pretty fun and you did enough competitions to where they could make their money 
anyways, especially on ticket sales and yeah. stuff, if we can ever go to sport sporting events again. Um, no, I, I, the hard part is over in Europe, football clubs are like college um, football teams over here, right? Where it, even if you're on a lower level, there's still that excitement around it that people grow up going to those games, even yeah. if like how app used to be when we were at app, you know, and even now they're nowhere near Ohio state or um, Alabama or Clemson, but people connected to the program still love to go and support it. You know, it's, it's very much the same thing. So I, I don't know if they could get that. Like if you're, if Charlotte was relegated, who's going to show up for, second tier American soccer, <laughs> professional soccer leagues. Like, yeah, that makes sense. You know, so um, I do think relegation and promotion is a great principle in sports because it eliminates the whole tanking stuff, which it feels like in pro sports nowadays, you, if you're not good, you need to be really bad so that you can right. get really good. Which but you also have to, but to your point, you have to build up the culture of soccer in the United States in general to get people to a place where they would be okay rooting for anybody in their state. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah, man. Well, thank you so much for being on, dude. Of course, bro. I appreciate the time and being my first, first guest. It was super awesome. And, uh, yeah, love it. Yeah, bro. Once again, thank you so much for listening today, for making it all the way to the end. Thanks again to Mike for stopping by and having fun. Hopefully the first of many. Y'all have a great day wherever you are. Thank you.